0: The following audio is from Jacobswell Church. For more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. We're going to be in Exodus uh, chapter 5, starting in verse 22, if you have your Bibles with you. Uh, pages should be on the back. Um, I think it's 40, 48 in the... Yeah, 48 in the Red Bible. So go ahead and open to Exodus 5.22. And while you're opening there, just want to set the context. We, we've been in Exodus for several weeks. And just want to give you an understanding for those of you who haven't been with us, just to know where we're at. So Moses at this point has encountered God, has, has seen him, and God has identified himself as I am. And he's told Moses, I have called you, Moses, to go and deliver my people from slavery from the bondage that they're experiencing right now with Pharaoh. I have called you, Moses, to go. And Moses responds with objections, and God continues to respond to Moses' objections by saying, I will be with you. I will be with you. You can do this. You can go. And Moses goes, and he has his first encounter, his first meeting with Pharaoh. And he says, the Lord has called me that you would let his people go. And Pharaoh responds by flexing a muscle and by showing his power and by saying basically to the Hebrew people, I am the Lord, this Lord you speak of is not the Lord. And he makes their labor heavy and even more burdensome than it already was. And, and to just top matters off, the foreman of the Israelites, the foreman of the Hebrews are, have this audience with Pharaoh to plead with him, to let up on all the work they're giving them to do he says, no way. And they go to Moses then and they say, what have you done? What have you done to us? The Lord judge you for what you have done to us, Moses. And that's where we're going to pick up is where Moses is right now. He calls upon the Lord. He goes to the Lord in this moment after being confronted with the Hebrew people. This is verse 22, and we're going to read through to chapter 6, verse 13. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore, Moses, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into a land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised or faltering lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word, we recognize that your word does not return void because it has great power and great promise. And so we rest and trust today that as we go to your word, we would experience that power and we would remember these promises. I pray, Father, that you would use this time to sharpen in us an awareness that you are the Lord. And with you, there is great power, there is great promise, and there is a great salvation. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. About six years ago, uh, my wife and I were serving in ministry and enjoying it and, and really very comfortable where we were. Um, that's one of our, I would say, idols maybe as a family, or me as an idol. I won't confess my wife's idols. I'll say it's my idol, my idol. <laughs> comfort. I like to be comfortable. I like things kind of predictable. And, uh, and so we were, th- we were in a place of comfort. And God had, through a, a series of circumstances, had, had extended to us, or what seemed to extend to us, this ministry opportunity that we weren't necessarily looking for. Um, he was using a variety of means to just kind of uproot us and stir us up a little bit. Like, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. We're we're good where we are, but he he kept using these these certain circumstances to stir us up to the point where we were really starting to seriously consider. Okay, may, maybe you're maybe you are doing something here. Like, maybe that we need to pay attention to what's going on here. Like, you might be you might be leading this Lord, so we better pay attention. So we spent about three four months really devoting this ministry opportunity to prayer and saying, all right, Lord, what what would you have for us? And uh, and it's interesting because for me, I, I'd probably be like, okay, I think I'm ready, giddy up. My wife takes a little bit longer to get on board. And, and she was actually maybe there before I was as far as wanting to, to pursue this ministry opportunity. So we were like, after about three or four months, like, we're ready. Let's go. Let's do this. This is exciting. God's got... Great things in store for for where we're headed. Let's go. And through a series of very, very clear circumstances, very clear, God very quickly said, you're not going. And I remember getting a voicemail from a person who was part of this ministry opportunity, and they left me a message. And it was along the lines of, you know, Chad, we're just, we're really excited for whatever God has in store for you. It, we know it's not here, but we're excited for whatever you're going to end up doing. And so the Lord's blessings to you and good luck to you and take care of yourself and God bless and all of that. And, and so I listened to this voicemail and I hung up the phone and I looked up at the ceiling, which is where I look when I talk to the Lord. I don't know why, but I looked up and I said, God, You gave me a taste of something really good, and then you took it away. You're mean. You're just mean. You didn't live up to your name of being a good God. You're mean. That was my response. And in this verse, we see Moses having a similar sort of response. If you look at verse 23, he says, of chapter 5, he says to the Lord, For since I came to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Can you kind of hear the same sort of tone? What are you doing? You're mean. But what's happening here for Moses, what was happening for me, and all of us, I think, is when we begin to put our own expectations and our own picture of how God needs to work on our terms and we decide what his name really means, what doing something in his name really means, we're bound to be frustrated. We morph the name of God into the shape of man. We take our own expectations. God, you do things this way. And you don't do things this way. We take our own timing. God, you do things quickly. Now, not later. And you don't, you're not slow. You should, it should happen now. We put our own timing. We put our own expectations. We also put our own circumstances on there. We say, like, God, you're present when things are good. But you're absent when things are bad. And so we make God into our own image and expectation of what he should be. And we say, this is the God I will trust. I will follow him where I think he's leading. I will wait on him according to my schedule. I will believe in him when everything makes sense to me. And this God that we construct, It's a false God. It's an idol. I heard a quote at this conference we were at this week that was really helpful to hear. With false gods and with idols, when you scratch at them, you start seeing a mirror. It reveals a mirror to show us I have made God into my image. And we see this dilemma playing out, and it's bookended. It's, it's really cool how God sets us up in his word. Like, it's bookended in this passage. At the beginning, at the end of this passage, we see Moses and the Israelites consider God's deliverance of them. We see their expectations. We want deliverance to involve no suffering and no struggle. Moses, in chapter 522, says, Why have you done evil? Basically saying, God doesn't work this way, so it must be evil. And he says later in chapter 6, verse 12, he says, I'm a man of uncircumcised or faltering lips, which means he maybe had a speech impediment or stuttered or whatever it was. He was saying God doesn't use these incapable communicators to speak to the rulers of the world. They also questioned timing. They said, we want deliverance to happen instantaneously. And Moses says in 5.23, you have not delivered your people at all. Not ever. And he says in the verse before that, why did you ever send me? Which has this idea like, God, you didn't work quickly. You didn't work fast. You didn't work on our watch. And also the circumstances. We see how their circumstances are affecting them. We want deliverance to be logical. And so when the Israelites are faced with their harsh slavery and their condition, they believe, according to their image of God, he's left us. He's not here. And Moses, in verse 12, chapter 6, says kind of the same thing. No one listens to me. Why would Pharaoh listen to me? You must not be in this, Lord. But wedged between the bookends of this passage, between God made in man's image, is God's response. Verse 1 shows us, of chapter 6, shows us three very loaded and yet comforting words. But the Lord. These words, but the Lord, serve as a contrast to our image-making of God. These words should give us great comfort that God doesn't leave us to craft our own portraits of his name. And we're about to see in this passage three key correctives God is making about his name. The first one is that the name of the Lord has great power. The second is that the name of the Lord has greater promises. And then finally, the name of the Lord has the greatest grace. First, the name of the Lord has great power with me at verse 1, chapter 6. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God answers Moses' questions with demonstration language. Now you will see what I will do. It's basically like he's saying to Moses, watch this. And whose mighty hand, whose strong hand are we talking about here? It's a little confusing. Is this Pharaoh's? Because it says, for with a strong hand, he will send them out. With a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. That must, be, that must be Pharaoh we're talking about. But we only have to go back to a few chapters back to Exodus 3.19 and see, this is the Lord's hand at work. Exodus 3.19 said, But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. Similar to the expression of strong-arming someone. This is like the ultimate arm-wrestling match. Pharaoh shows his bicep. God shows his. And God says, I'm not only going to win this arm-wrestling match, and that he's going to let my people go, I'm actually going to break the table so that he drives them out of the land. That it would be so obvious that is my great power at work. You've heard, I don't know if you've heard the adage, with great power comes great responsibility. So how does that apply to God? With ultimate power comes ultimate responsibility. God's response to Pharaoh, who declared himself to be the Lord, a few verses back, will be swift and just. And for those of us who struggle with trusting in this image of God, We can look to this great power that God demonstrates and rest and trust that he's in control and he's in charge. Our son Cadence, when he was a baby, was a pretty difficult, strong, I mean, if you can have a strong-willed baby, I think he was a strong-willed baby. Like, he just loved to fight us. Like, he didn't like to be held. He didn't like to be nurtured a whole lot. But we figured something out. We called it the miracle hold, where you would, where you put your arms around him. I'd get, I'd get his stomach against my chest, and then I would just start st- tapping on his butt, and he would, he'd do his little, little strong-willed baby fight, and then it's just his arm would just like relax. There, I can trust. There's, there's this, there's this power going on that's holding me that I'm going to be okay, and I can rest here. And I worked in. Uh, I worked uh, for a a few months at a group home, which is a very, very challenging experience with with kids who have really serious behavioral disorders and and mental health issues. And one of the things we would do at this group home when a child would become a danger to himself or to other people is we would do what, what are called holds. Um, and and as as a leader in the group home, you really had to communicate to them that I'm not doing this because I hate you. I'm actually doing this because I care about you, and I don't want you to hurt yourself, and I don't want you to hurt somebody else, and so we would hold them down on the ground, and I would just be intentional about locking them in the eye and just looking at their eyes because I wanted to communicate to them, I'm not doing this to be mean. I'm doing this because I care about you, and they would fight and scream and cuss and call you names and spit on you and try to bite you until the point that they would just relax. And sometimes it would take two minutes. Sometimes it would take two hours. But they would recognize that there is a power greater than me at work here, and I have to believe that they care about me. And I think the Lord is saying here, There is a power greater than anything, greater than Pharaoh, that you can rest and trust in and relax in. Pharaoh never stopped squirming, never stopped screaming, never stopped fighting when God put the hold on him. But he's encouraging us and encouraging Moses and encouraging the Israelites to rest and relax in his great power. So for us, how does knowing the power of God, the ultimate power of God, affect our trust in him? Well, it affects our expectations. There's no power beyond his power. I don't know if there's some of us here who are feeling powered or overwhelmed by something. Maybe the wife or the husband who's been bullied by their spouse or the middle manager who's being manipulated by their boss or the person whose powerful fears or regrets wake them up at night and say, what are you going to do? For those of us who are feeling powerless to this great power over us, God is asking us, call on his name and rest in trust that there's no power greater than God's. And then there's those of us who think that we're the greater power, that we're the ultimate power, the, the one who lets everyone know how subtly or subtly how great you are, or the one who's who's maybe dealing with a loss or a pain and says the best way to handle it is just suck it up and be strong or maybe the one who finds power in their position compared to others and says you know what i don't struggle with that sin or my sins not as bad as that guy to those folks he says repent verse 2 verse 6 verse 7 verse 8 and the remainder of the entire bible says in the language that is clear as day, I am the Lord, not you. I am the Lord, not you. We can trust in the name and the power of the Lord. In no other name is there such great power. Secondly, the name of the Lord has greater promises. Throughout the book of Exodus, we hear those words, I am the Lord, I am the Lord. Why the repetition? Why do we hear that consistently? Because it reiterates, it tells us that there is a relational covenant, promise-keeping God that we serve. I personally struggled, and I I, I really hope I don't offend anyone, I personally struggled with the promise-keepers movement. I loved Promise Keepers movement for the fact that these were men gathered together worshiping the Lord. I love that. I love to see that. And I loved that there were men that were making declarations to say, we want to be better husbands. We want to be better fathers. We want to be better lovers of God. I, I loved that. I appreciated all of that. But one of the things I struggled with was the name, Promise Keepers, because it didn't appear to leave room for the potential failure that was going to come when promises were broken. And we see this all around us when we encounter our own failures and our own breaking of promises. I saw a book the other day that was called The Good Dad. And I'm like, oh no, oh no. I don't need to read that because it's going to confront me with the fact that I'm, I'm not. And we were at this conference and one of the speakers was talking about his father and he was saying, my father never failed me. And I was like, oh, no, I hope my kids never say that, because I know, I know i failed them. And I watched a movie called Boyhood, which is a, it's a really fascinating movie because it, it chronicles a boy's life from age 6 to 18, and it actually films it where he, the actors get older. So they, they keep the same actors through the course of his life, which is interesting. But, but basically, through, this li- through his life from 6 to 18, you saw his constant the constant failures that he experienced from father figures in his life. Not showing up when they promised to show up. Not following through when they promised to follow through. Leaving and the boy not knowing when his dad was coming back. If my kids, if our kids are asking us, Dad, do you promise? That's probably a good sign that I've been a promise breaker. Because why would he even have to ask that question? So when we hear the words, I am the Lord, God is working to establish his name as one who never breaks his promise, is always on perfect time. And what he says he will do, he will do. In the beginning of verse 3, he says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. It raises our awareness. It's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We see throughout Exodus. Raises our awareness that God is a God of consistency, I am the Lord of these men, not I was, which means he's eternal. His promises are eternal. And in verse 8, he talks about the promise of a land and blessing, and he swears to keep that promise. So what does this promise keeping God do for our trust, for those of us who are impatient, thinking God's timing is unbearable? I can't wait any longer. He's saying, As you wait, find your strength in waiting on the Lord who keeps his promises. As you wait for a change in your child's behavior, wait on the Lord who keeps his promises. As you wait for a change in your spouse's hardened heart to the gospel, wait on the Lord to keep his promises. As you wait for a change in a pattern of sin that won't ever seem to go away... Wait on the Lord who keeps his promises. Not only is he great in power, no other name but the name of the Lord is able to make and keep all of his promises. Lastly, the name of the Lord has the greatest grace. Look with me at verse 3 again. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. By my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Hmm. At first glance, that's, that's, that's kind of confusing. Because in Genesis, the name Yahweh, the name the Lord, was, was used consistently. I'm not sure what, what's going on here. Well, what's going on here is you don't fully know someone's name, which is all that makes up who they are. You don't fully know someone's name until you actually meet them, until you actually see them in action. And God was telling Moses, I'm going to reveal myself not only as a powerful, promise-keeping God, I'm going to reveal myself as Savior. Showing grace to an undeserving and unlistening people. In verses 6 to 8 of this passage, the Lord marks out several I wills. And these I wills are interesting because he's not saying, Moses, you and me will. Or Moses, you will. Or Hebrews, you will. There's none of that. I will. The Lord will. And he starts in verse 6 by saying, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. Here's his name. Here's his signature of power and promise. Say to them, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. He's basically saying to them, here is your promise of rescue. And then he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of mercy. Here is his promise of redemption, of buying back his people out of slavery. And he says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out under the, from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Here he's promising relationship. I will adopt you as my own. You're going to be mine. And then finally in verse 8 he says, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. Not only do we receive adoption, do we receive relationship with God. He also promises the blessing of rest and a home and a place to go to call home with him. Moses and Israel were being promised salvation from the Egyptians. And in these promises of deliverance from Egypt, the worldly powers is our promise of deliverance from sin, from our slavery, from our bondage. Moses has not yet fully seen the name of the Lord until he sees Jesus. In the second book of the Old Testament, written 2,000 years prior, is the promise of a new covenant where we will be rescued from our captivity of sin, where we will be bought back by the blood of a Passover lamb, where we can call the great and powerful I am Father because He has adopted us where we can enjoy every good blessing life in his family offers. The Israelites, they weren't interested in deliverance because they were so focused and fixed on their slavery. But thankfully, God didn't depend on their response. That God didn't depend on them going, oh, you're going to deliver? Oh, okay, okay, we'll go. we're going we're to follow. You're going to deliver us? Okay, here we go. God didn't depend on that. He didn't depend on Moses. He didn't depend on Moses's, I'm not sure I'm the guy. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do it. He didn't depend on their response. He took initiative in spite of them. And in spite of Moses's refusals, he took initiative. And that's grace. Where it's God's initiative and nothing else. At this conference we were at this past week, there was a man sitting right in front of us, in the row in front of us. And he was bound to a wheelchair. And I'm pretty sure he was a quadriplegic. I don't think he had control of any any of his body. And he had his brothers or friends sitting next to him on each side. And during the sessions, as the sessions were going on, because the sessions were probably about an hour long, you just watch his body just start to slowly kind of sink. The gravity of his body slowly sink him down into his chair where he couldn't, he couldn't move. He couldn't do anything about it. And so every once in a while his brothers or his friends would come and put their arms under his pits and lift him up. And they'd just lift him up and place him a little 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 more comfortably in the chair. And then it would happen again and he'd fall back down. And his brothers would come and lift him up. There was no way he could move from his place. He needed an outside mediator we are him we're completely helpless and without ability to save ourselves and friends there is no condition there is no paralysis there is no sin that he is not able to heal by his blood you may believe You have to do something in order to make things right. Believe instead in the name of the Lord. You may believe you have to be in better shape in order to stand before him. If that's us, no. Believe instead in the name of the Lord. You may believe God is not interested in meeting you in your mess or in your paralysis. Believe instead in the name of the Lord who lifts you from your chair when you could not, who shields you from the penalty of sin by taking your rightly deserved punishment on the cross, who calls you his friend and brother and introduces you to a new father who gives you feet to walk and arms to move and a perfect Heavenly home in which to live, believe in the name of the Lord. There is no other name by which we are saved, but by the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Six years ago, as I was talking earlier, six years ago with this ministry opportunity, God clearly showed me that my expectations of the Lord were my own. That my view of the Lord's timing was my own. That my understanding of the Lord's plan for my life was my own. He wasn't being mean. He was being the Lord. The Bible that I use says, presented to Chad Bodwin, by your friends at Jacob's Wall. On September 28th, 2010, that's five years ago, the ministry opportunity was six years ago, to be part of a church plant called Jacob's Well, to be part of a ministry and reaching the community of Green Bay with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thought God said, no, you can't be a part of that. But he said, not yet. And we have what we call, listen, I call these stones of re- remembrance. And the passage on this, this is on our mantle. We will tell the next generation the praise-worthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. Had we not moved to St. Louis, Missouri to go to seminary, we would not have been trained to be able to preach the word of God. Had we not moved to St. Louis, we had two children that needed specific medical care that really St. Louis was tailored to provide. Our oldest son was part of a research study which helped preserve his little life. We're here now, not six years ago, with my wife and I having a loosened grip on control and a greater appreciation For the faithfulness of God. We're here now. Better healed from past wounds. And ministry traumas. Because I had a pastor in St. Louis. Who cared for my soul. We're here now. And not six years ago. Not because the Lord is mean. But because the Lord is good. Verse 13 closes this passage. With again Three great words. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron had to take their image of God and break it down and be able to say, my expectations are gone. It's your power, O Lord, that's going to do this. They had to take their timing that says, I want it a certain way and at a certain time and say, it's on your watch, O Lord. And they had to take the circumstances, all the things they were seeing around them and they had to say, your will be done, O Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, familiar with it, but it so fits with this passage says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Tear down the image of God you've created and God in his grace will replace it with I am the Lord. Whose strong arm can powerfully deliver you. Whose promises of deliverance are never broken. And by whose name, the only name, the name of Jesus, you will be saved. We pray at the end of our prayers in Jesus' name. And what we are saying is your power, your promise, your salvation is what, we're, is what we're doing here. Trust in that name and in no other name. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that we can call you Father. Thank you that you are our Father through the adoption, through the redemption for the rescue from our sin, that you have brought us back to yourself. And thank you for the promise that's yet to come of a perfect resting place and home to be with you. Father, I pray that you would help us to tear down those images of you that we have made, those expectations of you that are our own, the timing, situations, all of the things that we put on you that are not you, and that you would replace them with us seeing a God of power. With God us seeing a God who keeps his promises. And with us seeing a God who provides salvation. And we pray all of this in Jesus Christ's name and no other name. Amen.